How are new ideas pushing the boundaries of energy-efficient living? Hi, I'm Mia Quinn, host of Sustainably Speaking. Brick by Brick, we'll unpack the exciting innovations being developed to create more sustainable homes and buildings today. I'm joined by two guests reshaping the future of sustainable architecture. You'll hear from Heidi Kujawa, CEO of Bifusion, and Jordan Goldman, the engineering principal behind Zero Energy Design. All right, let's get into it. Heidi, thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, ma'am. So tell me about how you got where you are and and a little bit about where you're coming from. So I love tools. Um, my first job was a bike mechanic when I was the bright age of 14. I mean, I've just always, always been tinkering and building things. And it led me into the construction industry. I think there's a couple of things as I got went through my life in construction that was a pain point for me. Like I always wanted to build sustainably and never could because it was always at a premium. Ultimately, we ended up just leveraging the traditional building materials out there and to get the job done. But there was always that, you know, decision point of like, I want to do what's right for the for the planet and build sustainably. And when you say that, like, so your you know traditional building materials, I'm not sure if I think about if they're sustainable because I'm thinking, okay, hopefully these are going to last for 50 years. So there's a lot of interesting conversations going around about the environmental impacts of materials. And yes, they're making some incredible advancements of it, but we have to think about striking a new balance to enable some of those natural resources some time to rebuild themselves, if you will, if that makes sense. Um, how do we avoid nature loss? Maybe reduce some of the dependencies. And that's really where we come in, by block. So you've created this building material that does what? Tell us about it. What Bifusion has done is we've developed a solution that takes landfill or ocean-bound plastic and try to convert it into something that is usable to help solve for some of the challenges that we're seeing in the construction industry. So the thing that makes us unique is that we've built a scalable solution that we envision will be in every community before I die. I mean, like that's my vision. And so we're helping them take one problem to solve another. So you're taking used plastics, you're shredding them up, and then turning them into these building blocks. The plastic is really a simple process. So yes, it's shredded and cleaned and sanitized and fused into bi-block. It's really as simple as that. It's great that there's so much value in that material. Are you finding, sometimes we hear a lot lately that the demand is, there's more demand than there is supply. There's a huge demand for people trying to solve for this waste stream, of course. The demand for blocks is growing steadily and sharply, which is awesome. It's very cool to me that you figured out a way. There is a way to process those materials. I mean, beyond advanced recycling, but in the more traditional sense of recycling. There's seven different types of plastic. And so that's still going to take some time to address the plastic waste issue that we're trying to solve for, but it'll come. What advice would you give to someone looking to build a more sustainable home? That's a complicated one because it depends on the kind of home that you're looking for. And I bet there's a lot of trade-offs involved. I think that people can achieve more sustainable homes in a number of different ways. If you think about advantages to getting off the grid or leveraging solar or things you can do with your air quality, there's all kinds of very cool innovations going on when it comes to clean building and decarbonizing our homes. 
I think it's really asking about first what's your budget to do it and what are you actually trying to achieve? Are you trying to achieve your structural footprint or your behavioral footprint of what you do on a regular basis within your home? Because those are two very different things. You could have a structure that's very sustainable, but if the guts and the mechanics around that structure are consuming, then that's a big trade-off. But I think that's one thing is let's look at how is sustainability defined to you and how best to achieve that. Switching gears a little bit, what sorts of like building innovations and trends are you seeing in sustainable construction right now? The industry uh, innovation that I'm seeing right now that gets me the most excited is what the world's doing with 3D printed houses. I think it's super smart. It's still very much in its infancy, but there's been a lot of innovation in that space. And so I'm excited about where that's headed and the possibilities that it represents. I'm also just excited about the innovations that we're seeing in water and in energy, in particular with the HVAC system, the innovation that's going on with our heating and cooling, which is going to be increasingly more important as we see these weather trends, the peaks and valleys, it's more important that we're controlling our temperatures in a way that reduces energy. I'm also really excited about the nanotechnology enabling us to leverage our existing windows as solar panels. That is going to be game-changing. I'm very excited about that. Thanks, Heidi. It's been awesome having you and getting to know you. Thank you. Jordan, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about what you do. I am co-owner of an architecture firm called Zero Energy Design. And um, I wish I could take more credit for the beautiful houses that we've helped design, but I am mostly in charge of the kind of performance aspects, the energy efficiency and the durability and the high performance nature of the houses. We mostly work in the residential sector, um, doing custom single family and multifamily housing. Um, everything that we do has got a strong focus on energy efficiency, indoor air quality, occupant comfort, building durability, resiliency, things that I personally think should be kind of the status quo for all of the buildings that we build, but unfortunately are still something of a niche kind of feature to be to be included. Why is it still a niche? I mean, it definitely costs more to build high performance than minimum code compliant. Not to get too far off track, I think in our culture, in our society, we, we don't do a great job of seeing like the long-term picture and like we're focused on like the upfront cost, the first cost, you know, how much house do I get for this pot of money without thinking about what is this going to cost me to operate and maintain for the next 20 years? I do think compared to when we started in, you know, 2006, the demand for this type of construction and these kind of features has definitely increased, especially in the light of the reality of climate change, that demand is, is increasing. People are becoming more conscious of the health impacts of their indoor environment. So you start a project and you go, okay, how can we make this the highest performing building? What are you looking for? We are lucky in that the people that hire us as an architecture firm have kind of self already self-selected. You know, we don't need to convince them of the value of building the way that we would like them to build, which is a really privileged position to be in. And so it kind of starts with the architectural design and like actual, you know, thinking about how to shape the house around energy efficiency. In other words, avoiding excessive glass areas that are facing due west, which are going to cause overheating problems, making the surfaces as well insulated and air sealed as possible. 
we are designing houses mostly, almost exclusively in New York and New England and the Northeast, where heating is our dominant energy demand. Insulation and air sealing and you know reducing the heating demand is the primary way to uh, kind of improve the energy efficiency. Once we've we've got like this really tight buttoned up envelope, we think about what are the systems that we're putting into the house? How can we meet the demand in as efficient a manner as possible? And we've eliminated fossil fuel burning from from our houses. We're using electric sources of of heating, such as heat pumps. That is energy that can be offset by renewable energy and is much safer for the occupants since there's no chance of a gas leakage or of any carbon monoxide backdrafting. And then finally, we are incorporating renewable energy to offset as much of the energy demand as possible in the house. And so in addition to the, to the systems, we've got lighting and domestic hot water and appliances that we're also considering. You always talk about a life cycle analysis, and, and this isn't necessarily one, but I'm curious, how do you approach, okay, how do I weigh this versus this? I often use the analogy of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs that a house needs to provide. And so like at the very top is, you know, structural integrity, like your house can't fall on your head and like keeping you dry because we invented houses to uh, to get out of the rain. And, you know, I put indoor air quality and occupant health and life safety very high on the list. And then I would say reduce carbon footprint, both from the operational side and from the embodied carbon side. And then there are always trade-offs that you have to make. And we haven't even started talking about the cost of these houses. Sometimes you pay more for an environmentally preferable material. Sometimes the decision is easy and, and a recycled material can be cheaper than material that comes from kind of virgin components. Talk to me about some of the recycled materials you, you either consider or use a lot or tell me about that universe. We look to use a lot of salvage materials. If there's recycled content in decking, for example, like a plastic-based decking can come with a lot of recycled content, and that's something that we look for. You know, there's a litany of decisions, hundreds or maybe even thousands of products that go into building a house. And so it's this continual kind of like re-education as you're going through the design process to learn what's out there to, you know, what you kind of expect 10 years ago as like your kind of environmentally preferable product, you might be able to do better than that today. So you're kind of trying to always improve upon your upon your specifications and look at everything that goes into the house, you know, in, in terms of its uh, material qualities. Let's just hit, hit it head on and talk about plastic. I know, you know, there's lots of trade-offs. You and I talked about this a little bit before. Talk to me a little bit about what makes it attractive, what doesn't make it attractive, and then how it's best used. The durability of kind of plastic-based products is is certainly an attractive attribute. They're rot-proof. You know, plastic doesn't rot. Depending on the material, insects won't like to eat it. In general, it's it's more durable and going to last longer than kind of a wood-based product. Unfortunately, you know, virgin plastic comes from petroleum, and so it is higher in embodied energy and embodied carbon than other sources. However, if we can get this material recycled reused or recycled, that obviously makes it more attractive from a holistic standpoint. Are you constantly looking for it? A lot of plastic materials that we see in the building industry advertise their recyclability. In other words, like once they're once they're at their end of life, they can then be recycled. But we're not seeing a lot of materials that say, if you walk through the park, it's like, hey, this bench was made from you know recycled water bottles. We're rarely seeing that equivalent in the building industry. And it would be great if we were, but I would love it if some of these decisions 
about durability versus embodied energy and embodied carbon. We're not pulling at opposite ends, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I, I think a lot of our listeners probably need to hear that. They probably see it, in, but anecdotally need to hear it too, because I know there are efforts out there. What needs to happen to make sustainable architecture more accessible? Well, the good news is that I think it's happening. It's not happening with equal speeds in all the states. You know, we live in a very polarized society. And unfortunately, for reasons I don't really understand, climate change and the need for resilient energy efficient buildings is like a it's a victim of that polarization when it really shouldn't be. It's not a given to everybody. It should be above politics. It should be above your political leanings, but unfortunately it isn't. I'm going to switch gears a little. Tell me about the fa- your favorite house or building that you ever have worked on. My favorite ones are the small ones. So we work on a lot of custom single family homes, which are all very energy efficient, but sometimes they're big. The most sustainable house is the one that you don't build. And right after that is the one that's right-sized for the people that are living in it. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. And thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, highlighting a few advances in sustainable homes and buildings. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you want to talk about and hit the follow button to never miss out on new episodes. I'll see you next time on Sustainably Speaking. 